Welcome to Ask of Expert, helping business owners, managers, and professionals thrive in the world of modern work. Here's Polly Craig. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Polly Craig, and welcome to Ask of Expert, where you get direct access to professionals who share their expertise and give you the straight goods on matters that affect your life. Today's conversation is one that all of us need to hear about, whether it happens to you, an employee, friend, or family member. No one goes into a marriage planning for it to end. It's no secret that going through a divorce can be messy, painful, and expensive. It can cause significant damage, not only personally, but if you own a business, as many of our listeners do, it can have a big impact on your bottom line. Divorce can increase employee distraction at work, leading to lower productivity and output or absenteeism due to stress and legal proceedings. In this episode, we'll walk through an alternative approach to traditional divorce known as collaborative law. This approach can help to minimize the severe impact divorce has, saving everyone time, money, and stress. If you or anyone you know are going through a separation or divorce, this episode is a must-listen. Here to walk us through collaborative law is Renee Nichols, family lawyer with Bennett Waugh Corn. Renee is experienced in all aspects of family law, trained in collaborative law, mediation, arbitration, and non-evaluative child interviewing. She enjoys working with people to help them find the best solution for the family during what is often a very high stress time. Hi, Renee. It's so great to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thank you, Polly. I'm really happy to be here today to talk to people about what I do. I honestly never really heard the term collaborative law before, and I'm super interested to really dig deep and discover, because I think this is going to really help a lot of people. So why don't we start off and can you sort of lay it out for us? What's the difference between collaborative law and mediation as an example? And that's a great question, Polly. I have so many people asking that and I think that it is little known and I'm really happy to be able to impart some knowledge about it. Litigation at its core tends to be a a more adversarial process, tends to move on a court schedule, which can be a slower process, whereas collaborative process really is an agreement to stay out of court and that's the heart of it and the parties come together and actually contract and and sign an agreement that they will not go to court. All of the processes, collaborative, litigation, mediation, all of the things that you listed before follow the same law. We're not here to create new law or to do things outside of the law, to try to skirt the law or anything like that. We're all following the same laws, but in a collaborative process, you can be more creative The court has rules. Once you're in the court process, you have to follow their rules and you give up some control of the process. And most importantly, you give up decision-making to a judge. And that's not always the best person to make decisions for your family. Can I just ask a question before you go on? Because I had never heard of this approach. Say somebody's in a situation and they don't even know where to turn. Is there a title that they have to look for somebody that does collaborative law? And do both parties have to, because you use different lawyers, I'm assuming, do they both have to find somebody that practices in this way? Yes, the collaborative, so in Manitoba, we have Collaborative Practice Manitoba all across Canada. There are collaborative organizations. Collaborative Practice was actually born in the United States and it came to Canada and it's still growing. 
I'm very happy to, that there were lawyers who created Collaborative Practice Manitoba, and now I get to be a part of it to help it grow. So we have a website, Collaborative Practice Manitoba. It offers training to lawyers to have what we call collaborative training. And so most people turn to a collaboratively trained lawyer. And you raised an important point, Polly, that each person does still hire their own lawyer. When you're looking for a lawyer, you can look just Google lawyers and look for ones that say they're collaboratively trained in their bios, or you can also go to the website. But yes, definitely both people have a collaboratively trained lawyer. And I can tell you that I started out as a traditional litigator, as most of us did. At that time, alternative dispute resolution was not as common. And I always wanted to do it. I always wanted to do media. At that time, I thought it was mediation. And life intervened and took me down a path of doing um, child protection litigation. And it was later that I went back to my mediation training and completed it and my collaborative training. And it really is a shift in the way you think and in the way you speak. A collaboratively trained lawyer has a different way of of thinking and speaking, and and it is um, very different than litigation. It was such a positive experience for me that it really led me to want to practice in a collaborative way, as well as in my mediation practice. I really do believe it's better. On that uh, note, because now you've said mediation a couple of times, what is the exact difference between collaborative law and mediation? So mediation and collaboration are both alternative dispute resolutions. Alternative dispute resolution simply means you're not going to court with it. Both are voluntary processes, although mediation can now be ordered by the court should they choose to. But generally, they're a voluntary process and mediation can have many different looks. Both parties could hire lawyers and the lawyers could attend mediation with them in a lawyer-led mediation. You could have a shuttle mediation where you don't actually meet in the same room together, but you meet with the mediator and the mediator goes between, and that can be literally, you know, between rooms in the same building or figuratively in a Zoom room, you know, um, it can have all kinds of looks. The typical type of mediation is one mediator and the two parties. And the benefit of it is you get to speak to the same person at the same time, and that person can help you make decisions. You do get legal advice along the way from, if you have a lawyer mediator, you will will still often consult a lawyer to give you legal advice. Your mediator doesn't wear the legal advice hat. They give you legal information sometimes, but their goal is to really help you have conversations to make decisions with your partner. And in mediation, you have to be able to speak for yourself. Definitely your mediator helps you find out what's important to you. What do you want to say? How do you want to say it? And we are able to help them along the way, but they have to be able to speak for themselves and make decisions for themselves. In collaborative practice, you each have a lawyer and you agree not to go to court. And in collaborative practice, we talk about building a team. The team starts with each person and their lawyer. And from there, we decide, do we need a coach? A coach is someone who can help you manage the feelings and the emotions along the way in a more cost-effective way. There are people with a social worker, a psychology background, and they can make the meetings more efficient because they're able to help everybody communicate in a productive way. It's hard to maintain your feelings and and keep everything respectful and, and kind. We can also bring in a child specialist in the collaborative process. 
and a financial advisor if that's needed. And those people tend to be neutrals. They're working for both people together. You wouldn't need two of everybody. You just have each have a lawyer and then you can bring in the experts to help in that area. And is the collaborative approach more prevalent with people that have children or just couples on their own? I'm not sure what the statistics would say, but I think that it's definitely a strong choice and a good choice for people with children. But I have worked with lots of couples without children and it can still have a lot of benefits. Even without children, you want to be able to manage the end of your relationship in a respectful way and most importantly, in an efficient and cost-effective way. So even if you don't have children, it's definitely an option. I think what I can impart to people is that whatever your situation is, think about it. Get your options. Know what they are. Choose your process wisely and choose your lawyer. Your lawyer should be somebody that you're comfortable with. And yeah, but with kids, definitely an extra element of support in the collaborative process. And is there areas that wouldn't be appropriate for a collaborative approach? Certainly, in all legal processes, we are now doing domestic violence screening, and we are now more aware than ever of the impacts of domestic violence, even when it's not what we might typically think of domestic violence. And so when we have certain situations, it may not be appropriate for mediation or collaboration, but it's a conversation that should be had with your lawyer and then with usually another professional like a psychologist or a social worker to see if it might be appropriate, even if there is domestic violence. In mediation, you have to have a level playing field. And sometimes domestic violence will not allow that to happen. It's just not possible and you cannot level the playing field. Same in collaboration, but in collaboration, you have your lawyer to kind of help you level the playing field a little bit. But we still have to think about safety. Whichever process you're going into, and that includes the court process, because the court process might include a personal appearance together with that other person in the same room, you have to think about safety. The other times where we sometimes wonder if, and ask, is this appropriate, is if there's a mental health issue of a serious nature that causes people to not be able to follow through on decisions that they make or not cooperate with the process. And that could also be an addiction issue that we see. Now, it doesn't mean you rule it out automatically. It doesn't mean if you have those issues in your family that you should say, oh, that will never be for me. It just means we need to talk about it a little more carefully and decide. Everyone has to be in agreement and we need to structure the process in a way that makes it helpful for everybody. Well, that's really great. You know, imagine being in a situation and making the decision, regardless of what the circumstances are. I think there's always a good case if it's appropriate to take the collaborative approach from what I'm thinking and from what you're saying and what you're, you're helping us understand. So I'm in the situation, is my first call to someone like yourself? Or, you know, if I'm getting therapy and, and we realize that this isn't going to work and we make the decision that we're going to move forward, who takes control and brings the team together? Is it something that you do or is it something that it's up to the person in the situation to do? It can sometimes come from different directions. It can sometimes be, you know, a counselor who, who helps you, you know, make those decisions. But Yes, I would always say, I, I see people at so many different stages before they separate, at the moment that it happens, 
months to years later. And I always get good feedback from people that if you make the call to a lawyer and you have a consultation with them, you don't have to commit your life to them. Have a consultation with them and talk to them. You will get some very good information and you'll feel better about it and they can help you structure the process. I always talk about what is the process that is going to work for you? And I do have a focus on collaboration because I believe that it works for people. And I think most people don't come to me thinking, oh, geez, I want to go to court. There are still some of those people out there, but I hope there, there are fewer of them and that that's not needed. It doesn't mean you're going to do anything immediately. And if you do need something immediately, it definitely one benefit to alternative dispute resolution and collaborative practice is that you can get going quickly to help with interim decisions and help with things that are happening right away, as opposed to some of those details get left out of a court process because the court doesn't have the ability to deal with some of those smaller details that are really actually the most important things. Well, and you touched on the time frame. You know, courts are log jammed and, you know, getting your time in court, you know, so to speak. Meanwhile, especially if you've got children involved, you've got relationships that can be dwindling away and this whole collaborative approach. Can you share with us any insights or experience stories of a situation where it has worked well and the difference in outcome by taking a collaborative approach? Well, certainly... In a collaborative approach, we're able to be scheduling meetings more quickly and to be getting to the heart of the matter more quickly. And so if you have a situation that needs immediate attention, and that's not to say the court can't sometimes help. They have what's called emergent motions, and sometimes they can, but certainly there are benefits to getting started quickly The other important thing is that litigation by its very nature is adversarial. So it's set up for winners and losers. And family law is not set up for winners and losers. Family is set up for your children or or for your, you know, your relationship. And it's changing. Your relationship is ending, but you're building something, you know, anew. And that's really important to note that when you go through the litigation process, sometimes what you're doing is going there to say not very nice things about the other person out loud to everybody to hear forever. And that's a really difficult thing to come back from. So I can say that when you go through the court process, you don't walk away feeling good ever because you've had to say all these, you know, awful and horrible things about the other person in the guise of getting what you want. And so If you go through a collaborative process, we hope. Now, it's not perfect. All I will say is that I think a lot of people view collaboration as something that's for people who are already getting along. And I want to just say that that's not true. It's for everybody. And if you have high conflict, it's still for you. And it's not that we're all going to sit around and be nice the whole time, but we're going to be respectful and we're going to try to build something. Whereas litigation, in my view, really sort of tears it apart sometimes. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Well, and again, if you have children involved to be able to 
put the focus on them and help them see their parents as working through something rather than being on opposite sides. Because really, who loses there is the children. You know, and then you think about their own relationships further down the line. How are they? What's the norm for them? You know, is it normal to have a competitive relationship? And so keeping sights on putting the important people first. Definitely, family law has evolved over the years in all of the processes to put children at the forefront and to be reminding our clients at all times that don't lose sight of what is important and that's your kids. If you have children, most people come to me with that saying, hey, this is what's most important to me. But if people, you know, you get heated and you lose sight of that, it's our job to bring you back to that and remind you that your children are really the most important. And I can tell you, if you did a survey of my clients, they would say that very strongly about me, that I am all about their children and making sure that whatever we are doing is what's best for them, best we can. And oftentimes that can get lost in any process if you're not careful about it. For sure. Some interesting stats, and we'll put them in the show notes. We'll put any links to information that uh, we talk about here today. But you think about your practice, and I'm sure that unfortunately is probably in a growth area. 1.3 million Canadians are currently separated or pursuing a divorce. That's about 6% of Canadians. And 1.6 million common law are currently separated, which is about 8%. And more than 2.7 million Canadians are expected to finalize a divorce or common law relationship this year. Wow. The numbers are staggering. 57% of marriages break up after 10 years, and the average age is is usually over 40, and 74% of common law breakups happen under seven years. And usually those ages are 30 to 34. So you think about that stage of life. First of all, not knowing what you're getting into when you move in common law, making sure that you have the right agreements in place ahead of time. Do you do that type of work as well on the front end so that, you know, if something happens down the road, you've already got that relationship? Definitely. And we see it more in second relationships, unfortunately, than we do in first, but it's highly recommended. Any lawyer will tell you that to do either a cohabitation if you're going to be living together or a prenuptial agreement. And the collaborative practice can work for that as well. I mean, obviously, that's not ever going to be a litigation matter, you know, before the relationship, but you can work in a collaborative way. And it's definitely a good idea to have, it, it can provide a roadmap, you know, sort of for, and, and it, it is some difficult conversations, but better to have them at the front end. And I just wanted to say, Polly, I'm not surprised to hear the statistics. I've heard even higher at times. And I think it shows sort of a a change in our society that, and I'm hoping part of it, although it's never good when a relationship breaks down, I'm hoping that it's, you know, children are learning that it's okay to have two families and two homes and that we can figure out a way for people to restructure their family. Whereas before it used to be a real, there was a a bad stereotype about being divorced. So although the numbers are, you know, it's sad to hear that the numbers are high. I do hope that it means that people are accepting of it and, and realize that their children can still grow up in a healthy way, even if they're separated and divorced. Absolutely. You know, when you think about your own career and the work that, you know, you've transitioned, you know, moving from litigation to, to this type of practice. And the importance of the right relationship, client with lawyer. 
What are some of the most important things that people should be looking for or characteristics in somebody that is doing this type of practice, in your opinion? I think really the most important thing is for a person to find who they are comfortable with. And that's going to be different for everybody. You have to spend quite a bit of time with your family law lawyer and get to know them quite well. And you're sharing sometimes some very intimate details so that they can understand where you're coming from and and help you get where you want to go. And so I think that that is not necessarily a characteristic. I think it's who are you comfortable with? Who can you sit in the room with and feel okay with? Who do you want to take into the room with you to help you through this? And that's in any, again, in any process. And in terms of characteristics, though, I mean, I think a lot of us lawyers are helpers at heart. We want to help. And so I know I have that in me, whether it's, you know, opening the door for somebody or helping them as their family law lawyer, it's that helper. It also helps to have a good listener, which is more important in collaborative than in litigation. In litigation, we ask a lot of questions and we just want to know yes or no. In collaboration, we're talking about, you know, why and how more so. So I think for myself, being a curious person, um, you want to know why and you want to know more and you want to know how gets you to the heart of the matter. In family law, it's not really what you think it's going to be. You know, whatever you think it is going to be, it probably isn't. It's probably something else. And people want to, to they need to move through that and, and share that and talk about it. So, yeah, I think, you know, curiosity, listening are good traits out. But most importantly, find somebody who you like. Find somebody who you're comfortable with, whatever that is, whatever it is you need. Is there any statistics on collaborative approach versus litigation as far as cost? Is it less expensive to take the collaborative route? I don't think that there are. I don't know of any statistics that are out there formally. And I can say that it is unfortunately not always less expensive, but it is not more expensive. And it is, in my view, a better result, a more efficient result. And I can also say that on a collaborative practice, I can only speak for myself, but it has a good success rate in terms of like people always worry that if they come into the collaborative process and it doesn't work out, they're left with going to court anyway. So why not just skip that part and go? But I can tell you that it has a very good success rate in terms of people completing a separation agreement and then a divorce in a collaborative way. Renee, a lot of our listeners are business owners. And in the intro, we talked about when you have an employee going through a divorce, how stressful that is and will impact the work that they do. How important is it and what can employers do to help their employees when they're going through this to reduce or minimize the negative impact that it may have on the business? I think I do see a lot of people who take time off from work, quite frankly, you know, who it is impacting on their work to such an extent that they need to take a short leave. And I would say to business owners, in my experience, it's short-lived. It doesn't last forever. And most of the people get through it. And so if you can be a little bit patient with them and give them that time that they need, they may need time to talk to a counselor or to talk to a lawyer and just sort of go with it for a little bit. Now, not every business can do that, but I think to not do that is rather short-sighted and you might lose, you know, sort of a good employee. But yeah, I think that from a business perspective, it's definitely can have an impact in terms of the work that your employees can do. 
Well, absolutely. And and I know just from my own personal experience and having had a large number of employees, when you help and you know listen and have empathy and understand, it is short-lived, as you say. And when you come out the other side of it, you have a much better relationship with that employee and they know that you care. And that's an important thing when you are employing people that they understand that it's not a one-way street. And yes, productivity is important, but we need healthy people. And that includes understanding what they're going through in their own lives. And it might be as basic as just knowing what they're going through and knowing that it's, it doesn't have to be a secret and that it's okay for them to talk to you about it, you know, and, and let you know that this is what is actually happening for them. And that might be why they're, they're late because they're developing a new parenting plan that, you know, has some glitches, quite frankly, and might make them late for work. Maybe they have to adjust their start time by 15 minutes and to have, be able to have those conversations with them about it. Absolutely. Well, and even if you look at Vexit as a company, our whole goal is to help people deal with life situations by giving them access to professionals like yourself to learn and understand it's okay. You don't have to know everything. Nobody does. We just don't want people to know that. And so by you sharing your experience and expertise in this area, I think is going to help a lot of people as they may come into being in a situation themselves where they may need your help. Is there anything that we haven't covered today that you would want to make sure we touch on before we wind up? I just have a couple of things, just in terms of the benefits of collaborative practice. It's a private process. A court process is in an open court on a public record. So for all you business owners, that certainly is an important factor. In a collaborative practice, you can maintain control over the process instead of handing it over to a judge. I find that people make good decisions for themselves when they have the right information and the proper supports in place, and they don't need somebody else to make the decisions for them. And as a family unit, you can still make those decisions together. The only other thing that I'd like to say, Polly, is that if you are experiencing a family law situation, speak to a family lawyer. Hire somebody you're comfortable with. There are many pieces to untangle when your relationship ends. It often feels like the world is falling apart and really collaborative practice is intended to help you rebuild it and restructure it. I often see, and you pointed this out at the beginning, I see people at their worst sometimes. It's the worst thing that is happening to them. And sometimes I'm lucky enough to see them come through it and heal. And that's really important to me and and why I do what I do. Well, I think that's very insightful and love your approach. There is life beyond separation and divorce. And if we can align ourselves with somebody who has our best interest in mind and the best interest of both parties, really, and, and the family, keeping it out of court, you know, that's a really good point. Thank you for bringing that up. You don't necessarily have to have the whole world knowing what's going on in your life if you take this collaborative approach. And I think that we're all going to be well served by having people like you, Renee, taking this on as as your focus and practice into the future. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Polly. It was great. Please note that the conversation in this podcast is for informational and learning purposes and does not constitute legal, financial, or business advice. The Ask of Expert podcast is a production of Exit and distributed globally by the Sound Off Media Company. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. 
And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.